0: Welcome to Horizon. My name is Drew, and I'm part of the team here. And every single one of us has a devil inside. Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you, but as I'm kind of rocking out to that song, I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's not nice. Speak for yourself, man. Like you're telling me, I have a devil inside. Okay, so the Bible wouldn't really say that you have a devil inside, but there is the reality. As we've been seeing through our series, the most dangerous game that there are things out there that are dangerous for us because they are broken. They are destructive. There is evil in the world. There are people who do things wrong. And if I'm honest with myself, sometimes that is me, right? So as we watch the conclusion of our story today, and after that, as our friend Ken Kington is sharing with us, he has discovered two questions that if we can figure out the answers to those questions that's the difference between whether we win or lose the most dangerous game. Let's watch together.
1: The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell.
2: Part five.
1: Previously, in The Most Dangerous Game, big game hunter Sanger Rainsford fell overboard from his boat and swam to a jungle island. There, he discovered a hidden mansion, home of General Zaroff, also an accomplished hunter, but one who targeted humans, not animals.
2: Zaroff challenged Rainsford to a three-day contest of survival. If prey can elude pursuer, The general promised to return him safely to the mainland. But survival won't be easy. The general has firearms, a manservant, Ivan, and a pack of voracious Dobermans. All Rainsford has is a knife and his wits. With a
1: few hours' head start,
2: Rainsford slashed
1: through the wilderness, covering his tracks and doubling back randomly. He came to a rest in the hollow of a tree. He awoke with a stunning discovery—
2: Zaroff had tracked him there. Rainsford held his breath as he watched the general's eyes study the surroundings. His muscles tightened as he prepared to react to Zaroff's next move.
1: The hunter took a long drag on his cigarette. He smiled, blew a smoke ring into the air, and then sauntered away. Rainsford exhaled and slumped. The general's uncanny tracking abilities had led him a yard away, but he overlooked his objective
2: relief then realization he's playing with me he's saving me for another day's sport he's the cat and i'm the mouse
1: rainsford now knew the full meaning of terror i will not lose my nerve rainsford got to work he fashioned a spring-loaded trap known as a malay man catcher an immense log dangling dangerously above the trail
2: Rainsford hid and waited. Zaroff soon returned, his eyes fixed on the trail. Stalking intently, he failed to see the protruding vine that triggered the mechanism. The general jumped back as the dead tree smashed into his shoulder. (laughs) Ah, if you can hear me,
1: congratulations! You are proving interesting, my friend.
2: I'm going to have my wound dressed, but I shall be back. Rainsford took up flight again. He ran for hours until noticing a change underfoot. He stopped as his boot sank into the ooze. Even as he struggled to remove it, he realized, "'I'm in the death swamp, "'the quicksand that the general had warned me about.' Rainsford got an idea.
1: He retreated a bit and dug a deep pit. He cut stakes from some saplings and planted them in the hole, points up. He camouflaged it with
2: branches.' Exhausted, he slumped behind a tree stump. Soon, the night breeze brought the scent of cigarettes. The general was arriving swiftly. The hidden Rainsford had no visual. A pause. Then, crack! Followed by howling, Rainsford sprang up and saw, ten yards away. (laughs) Well done,
1: Rainsford. Your Burmese tiger pit has claimed my dog but let's see what you can do against my whole pack.
2: Thank you for an amusing evening. The general retreated to his castle. Rainsford again began to plot survival. Just
1: before daybreak, he attached his knife to a bent green tree and tied it back with a vine. In the distance, he spied Zaroff and in front of him
2: Ivan with the yelping dog pack in leash. Rainsford ran for his life, keeping an ear on his pursuers. He now realized the full fear of an animal being hunted. Suddenly, snap, followed by quiet, then barking. Rainsford climbed a tree and saw Zaroff still on his feet, but Yvonne dead. No time to relish. Rainsford could sense the pursuing dogs. He dashed ahead at breakneck pace, heading for the blue gap between the trees. He caught his heels at the edge of the cliff. Raging water below, Rainsford heard the barking hounds growing louder. He leapt out. The crashing waves muffled a small splash. The
1: general and his pack arrived seconds later. Zaroff surveyed the expanse of water, shrugged, and lit a cigarette. That evening, the hunter enjoyed a fine dinner in his great dining hall. Only slightly annoyed by the loss of Ivan and his failure to bag the American, he thought, mm, "Better luck next time." As he retired
2: to his bedroom, Zaroff switched on the light. A man was standing there. Rainsford. How on earth did you get here? I swam. I found it quicker than walking through the jungle. Well, congratulations. You won the game. Now, General, I'm still a beast at bay. Get ready, General Zarath. The
1: General flinched toward a bedside sword, but his opponent reached it first. Zarath snatched a knife from his belt and braced for battle. Splendid! <laughs> One of us will become dinner for the hounds. The other will sleep in this very
2: excellent bed. On guard, Rainsford. As the sun streamed through the curtains of the opulent bedroom, a thought occurred to the reclining man I have never slept better in my life. And with that, Rainsford turned over and went back to sleep.
3: I got to tell you this just to start off. One, it's great to be with you this morning. Two, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, there's an incredible passage in 2 Timothy. Welcome to those who are online. But what I really want to say is that when, when Chad had first mentioned to me about coming to do this kind of conclusion to this series, Chad is one of the most creative and amazing communicators in creation that I've ever met. And when he told me about this particular week, we're going to open with devil inside. And I'm like, is that going to be a sing-along or how does that work? And, and then he told me about the clip and the book and I'm like, hmm, this is really interesting. And then I read the passage that we're going to look at. Can I tell you, I don't think there is a more applicable passage to where life is, not just in general, but specifically for today than what we're going to look at. And there are two questions that if we get them right we win the game because ultimately both in scripture and in this amazing story is evil will always lose period it always loses but we have to decide which side we're going to be on am i going to just naturally flow into the side of of self and that which is not going to win or am i going to not only survive but thrive and which am i going to be and i can tell you it's not just the big picture part because Raise your hands if you've ever been on a desert or a deserted island and somebody was plotting to kill you and gave you a two-day start with a knife. And not me neither. I, I, I'm, I'm even afraid because I can even tell you that here's the deal. I, I don't have a unique set of skills that can can devise a plan to, to rescue a damsel or even defend myself. I don't have that. But what I do have is the reality that life can be dangerous and life can get not only dangerous, but can it be mundane to the point where I, I stop living and I just exist. And, and that's probably more of the danger than the other side. But as I look at that, the first question and, and one of the key parts of this amazing passage in 2 Timothy 2, through 26, is that the, the ultimate goal is to escape the snare of the devil, escape the snare of evil. So how do I do that? And not only escape that snare, but really, really survive and thrive in that. Well, the first question we have to answer is, where is my focus? Where is my focus as I live this life? Because as the Bible beautifully puts in another passage, and and if you're not familiar with the Bible, just realize that all these guys, especially in the New Testament, had either known or knew somebody who knew, and they knew each other, and, and God just breathed his truth through them in reality. And there's a great passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, be sober and vigilant." And we're going to see that answer as being, okay, I've got to be alert and I have to take initiative. But be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Remember that part. Seeking who he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the, in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, I don't know if you know much about lions. I did not, but I was watching a special once about how lions hunt. I don't know if you know this, but you can probably deduce that gazelles are fast and they're faster than lions. But I don't know if you realize how lions hunt. I did not, but what happens is they, the, the man, the big one, the one with the furry head, He sits and he sends the lionesses out, and the gazelles are in the middle, and he sends them out, and they go around to the other side of where the herd of gazelles are, because the lions got together at some point. They said, hey, you know what? They're faster than we are. Hey, you know what would be great is if we can get them to run right towards us, and that way we don't have to chase them, and that's what they do. They get in the low grass, and they stay down in the grass, and once they've had time to get there, the male stands up and just roars. And the gazelles are like, what? Run away! And they just take off, running away from the roar. And where are they running? Right into the lionesses. And they have lunch. And that's the way that works. And what he's saying here in this passage is is that literally evil is going to roar or lure us in a way that we were like, you know what? In the middle of it, if I'm not focused in the right direction... I will always run into the wrong direction and end up, as Jesus put it in chapter 10 of John, he says, the thief or evil does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Evil may allure for a moment, but is there always to steal from us, to destroy us and kill us. Ultimately, and, and sometimes in a slow way, sometimes in an immediate way. But look at what Jesus says. He says, but I have come that you would have life and that they may have it in more abundantly, not just survive, but thrive. So where is my focus? I want to prove to you that it's pretty easy to get distracted. And if we're not anticipating an initiative towards what is good and right and godly, then we will naturally fade into confusion. I've used this illustration here once before, so if you've heard it, don't shout out the answer at the end. But uh, it's a simple math problem, and I'm just going to say it. So if you know addition and subtraction, you'll get this. Okay, so addition and subtraction real quickly. So here's the the equation. It's a word problem. You're driving a train with 20 people on it. You get to the first stop. Ten get off. None get on. You get to the second stop. Five get on none get off. You get to the third stop, nobody gets on, nobody gets off. Here's the question. What is the name of the conductor? Anybody know? Raise your hands if you know. Very few hands. Now let me ask the question again. I'll read it to you again and very simply, you are driving a train with 20 people on it. Now how many of you know who the name of the conductor is? If you didn't raise your hand, you're really not paying attention, okay? So, and, and here's the deal. It's so easy to get distracted if we're not focused in the right direction. If we're focused on name a conductor, I don't have to pay any more attention from there because we're focused in the right direction. I'll give you another example, and this one's got a little bit more math to it. You don't have to do it, but it's, it's going to go a little quick. So here's the deal. I want you to pick any number. Do not hold it up. Do not tell me what it is between 1 and 10, Got that number? Shake your head if you got the number, 1 to 10, all right. Now I want you to multiply that number by 9, okay? It's just the 9 times table. I know this one, that's the hardest part you're going to get right there, all right? So get your new number in mind. You got your new number. Shake your head if you have your new number. Now here's what I want you to do. If your number is not the number 9, if it is, that's fine. But if it's not the number 9, I want you to take the digits of that number and add them together. Example, if your number was 27, it would be 2 plus 7 is 9. You got it now? That's your new number. Now, here's the hard subtraction part. Your number minus 5. Your number minus 5. The new number added together, minus 5, gives you your final number. Okay? Got that in your mind? Now, here's the deal. I want you to correlate the letter in the alphabet that would go with that. So, 1 would be A, 2 would be B, Three would be C, and then so on. So now you get your letter, okay, your letter. Now I want you to think of a country that begins with that letter, okay? Try real hard. If you got that country, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the second letter in that country, and I want you to think of an animal that begins with that letter. And now I want you to do is think about what color that animal is. Now, let me ask you this. Is anybody thinking of a gray elephant in Denmark? Exactly. See how easy it is to be led down a path? I didn't know your original number, but I do know this, that your number times nine will give you a digit that adds up to nine. And I knew that in that, you would end up with four and that D would be yours. And there's only two countries in the world that start with D. It's Denmark and Djibouti. And not a lot of people go with Djibouti. And I knew that the second letter is E, and if I pushed you very quickly for an animal, the elephant is the quickest one that comes to mind, and I know they're gray. But see, that's the way the enemy works. Satan is literally saying, you know what? You like this. Try that. Who says you can't do that and leads us down a path to where we're down a path, and we, we've lost our entire joy because we've been led down a path. But God says simply this, if I'll choose to pick him, if I'll choose to say, Lord, I want your best. There's a a wonderful Eskimo uh, story or analogy, if you will, that goes like this. The Eskimo leader says, I feel as if in my heart there are two dogs fighting, a good dog and a bad dog, and they are always fighting within me. And he is asked, Which dog is winning? He said, whichever one I feed, that's who's winning. And if I'm not actively feeding that good dog, then I'm going to get sucked into the process of frustration and destruction and and dying to life and life abundance. I'll give you a real world example from two days ago. Heather, my wife, is with me, and we, she's gonna, we're going to fly to Cincinnati. We're coming in a day early so we can enjoy Cincinnati. And it's going to be a blast. And the best laid plans, I said, you know what? We're going to go a half hour early so we can get to the airport, and we grab something to eat at one of the restaurants and watch part of the Hawks game, and then we'll go to the gate and we'll start. Well, things went long, and we get there, and, and we're a little bit late, and none of the restaurants are open. And it's 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, What? I said, you know what, we'll just go grab a little something at one of the convenience places or the glorified vending machines. Ended up with a bag of combos and a, and a turkey sandwich with a pre-made and whew, dinner, all right. I said, but we'll get something when we get there. We'll get there, we'll get something when we get there. We get here. Well, of course, they loaded the plane late, which of course delayed our pushback, which of course a storm came through, which of course delayed us another hour. And we take off, and we arrive here an hour and a half late. And I said, but you know what? I come here a lot. I know the drill. I go, so we're waiting on the rental car shuttle. After 20 minutes, she's like, are you sure we're where we're supposed to be? I'm like, I come here all the time. And I dial the number. And I'm like, hey. And uh, I would have said hey, but nobody answered. They said, um, unfortunately, we're closed right now. And I'm like, you're at an airport. And you re- What? And, and so I got to hit pause here, because that day I had chosen to focus in the right direction. I kind of have a little devotion time in the morning, and that morning I was reading through, I read one chapter a day, and it was in Hebrews. And I always pray, I'm like, Lord, will you show me the one truth you want me to focus on today? Now, it should have been a tip that my day was not going to go great. It says, it says simply this, he says, do not consider hardship as anything other than discipline. And all discipline is not joyful in the moment, but with God, he will work it to train us in righteousness and give us peace. Huh. So hardship, that's the theme of the day. Should have been a clue, I'm just saying, but I missed that, and so I'm in the middle of this, and I'm Now I'm frustrated because normally if I was in my flesh, if I was the devil inside, if you will, and out of my normal flesh, I would have been going, what in the world? I'm a a gold, platinum, plutonium member with them. They have left me high and dry, and this is ridiculous. I'm writing a letter is what I'm going to do, and that would have been my norm. But that truth came to my mind, and I'm like, okay. There's another part in James where it says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. I'm like, joy and What? See, that's not natural. It's supernatural. It says, and if you lack wisdom, ask God. We're sitting on the bench at the, at the Cincinnati airport, and I'm like, Lord, really? Okay, wisdom. God, give me wisdom because we, we don't have a car. I can't get to the hotel. Uber. I've got an Uber app. <sighs> Hope. Uber. No cars available at this hour. Well, I've got Lyft. And that came to my Lyft. Searching <laughs> your car should potentially be there by 12 o'clock. Midnight. Um and so now I'm like, what? Now see, my wife is just joy. She's watching like TikTok dance videos while I'm doing this. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to be that joyful. And so I, I literally I pray again. I'm like, Lord, will you give me wisdom? Well, we're staying at an airport near the ho- or a hotel near the airport. So I, hey, give me the airport number. I call them, like, is there any chance you have a shuttle? And they're like, absolutely. And I'm like, my flight was late. And they're like, oh, we'll be right there. Ten minutes later, they pick us up. And we're like, wow, this is great. But of course, there's, we can't get to a restaurant. There's none open by this time anyway. And, and we just kind of laughed. And she says, yeah, we shouldn't take these things for granted. And we, we wake up the next morning. And I'm like, well, you know what? The, the hotel. I I'd, I'd love the, the breakfast at this hotel, except it's COVID, and there is no breakfast. There are no restaurants, and we don't have a car, but there's a Cracker Barrel across the parking lot with a 90-minute wait, and and what was more joyful about that is that it's June in Cincinnati, so it was 40 degrees, and all we have is shorts and T-shirts, and I'm like, hardship enduring, and, and we just begin to laugh, and, and so we... We got in touch. They gave us a ride. We got the rental car, and we, we went and found a place to eat. By then, it was lunchtime, and it was like, you know, and, she, and I said, what do you want? She goes, I don't know, but we ought to get a lot because we may not eat again the rest of the week, um, and that focus allowed me to see this is what life is about. Hardships are going to happen. The, the game is going to play, but if my focus is in the right direction, it's going to make all the difference. Let me in this first, second Timothy 2, in chapter 2, verse 22, it gives this choice within this focus. It says in the very beginning, Flee also youthful lust. I'm not going to go a lot into youthful lust other than say it is the emotion and the uneducated and the unexperienced way. He says, Don't give into that, don't give into that. Instead, our focus should be on pursuing righteousness faith love and peace and god says i'm going to teach you how to pursue that remember the part i shared with you in hebrews where it says endure hardship it says no hardship and it's it, no discipline is pleasurable at the moment but it in god's economy when we trust him he will teach us righteousness and peace and if i pursue that if i get my focus in that direction even in the hard times It works out. And then in verse 23, this may be the greatest verse for our country for the past 18 months. And you're about to agree. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife. Who agrees with me? That may be something we need to pay attention to. And he's like, hey, here's the deal. When our focus is on self and flesh and the immediate and the emotional, It's going to end up in strife and disputes. But if my focus is on the fact that God really is in control, even in the midst of the chaos, I start to realize, wait a minute, what do I do? How can I change? And in verses 24 and 25, it says, not quarreling, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility. Can I tell you that this is an area, and you can pick whichever one you want right now, that I have learned, okay, Lord, help. Help in this. Where is my focus? Can I tell you where my focus was? It was on me being right. Me being right. Mask. Well, obviously, it's this. Vaccination, well, obviously, it's just I've read the articles, I've done all the research, I've done this, I've done this, and those other people, it it doesn't matter who they are, they, obviously, they are not right, and I am, and I wanted to be right, but what God showed me was, hey, in this verse, not quarreling, but gentle to all, those you agree with and those who disagree with you, gentle with them, But, Lord, they're not smart. That's going to be hard. But be gentle, able to teach, patient, in humility. Now, God has never spoken to me audibly, but in a very real way at that moment. He's like, Ken, humility, you might not know everything. Maybe there are some situations. And as I started to move my focus from what I thought and what was right to what is possible and how to approach it, I began to realize, wait a minute, I've got caught up in the sound bites and the headlines and feeling like I've got to take a side and it's divisive and quarrelsome when in reality, God is like, hey, humble yourself. And I started to see it for what it was. I said, well, you know what? If all they saw was what they hear I can see how they draw that conclusion. If, if all we did was read the research and just totally took the emotion and the individual situations out of it, this would be obvious. They're both obvious. But what if, what if God cares about every individual, all of us? Maybe what's right for me is different from what's right for you. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, and I started thinking through this Do we really want to go that everybody should mm, fill in the blank? Or do we want to take a step back, which is what I did, and instead go, okay, individually, there, there may not be a right and wrong. There may be a good and best, but there may be a best individually. And maybe, just maybe, we stop and say, am I going to trust those who have no clue who I am trying to make policies so that everybody does the exact same thing, or do I want to trust maybe somebody my doctor who knows me personally and knows my entire history and wants what's best for me individually and trust him? My choice is going to be with those who know me best and love me most, and that might be different for somebody else. And I'm like, wow. So my focus needs to move away from me being right to doing what is right and that righteousness and the indicator of that will be peace that I can can genuinely say I'm gonna trust that. And the same is true going into the second question is, you know, where do I really believe? What do I really believe? And I've grappled with that. I remember in my early teens grappling with, uh, somebody asked me the question, you know, where is your focus going to be? Is it going to be on what you think and feel and reason and believe or what is timeless and God says? And that is a basic decision because somebody asked me one time, you know, uh, there's a survey they did that one out of one people at some point in their life die. And it's true, at least up to this point. And here's the deal. If you were to stand before God, or when you stand before God, and he asks you, hey, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? And this is what I said I said, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. I think I do more good than bad. I hope I'm good enough. But then we have to think what's good enough? And is there a list and there's a score and a test and we're like, okay, I got this right. this wrong. And, and is, it, is it everybody and is it a bell curve or half of it's gonna be good and half of it's gonna be bad? And if that's the truth, shouldn't we be out there trying to make good people do bad stuff so we got a better chance? Or would that be bad? And then I got to college and they had this idea and this philosophy. Well, you know, we're just all on different roads. And we're going to end up the same place. If you really believe that today, when you leave here, just get on any road and you'll end up home. Can I tell you, especially in Cincinnati, that will not happen. We spent many times, I've got a waves and I still take the wrong road because it doesn't, it's just crazy. And I had to come to the point where I'm like, okay, not only... Where is my focus going to be? But I'm going to focus on that which is proven more than I am. Now, if you take our story, the most dangerous game, let me ask one one little tick to this. If they would have gone to uh, the gentleman being chased, what was his name, Rainford? Rainford. If they would have gone to him, he says, hey, here's the deal. You get a knife and you either get a manual written by special forces experts. And you can have that manual or you can have the knife and the most decorated experienced Navy SEAL in the world to go with you. Which one are you picking? I'm, I'm picking the SEAL. And, and I've met some SEALs. And we actually have a men's group here that I've done. And there was a gentleman who I met, he had his Navy fatigues on one day. And I said, hey, thanks for serving. And and for those who have had somebody in the military, I, I just thank you for your service and and the Memorial Day of, of celebrating that. But he's standing there. I said, where do you serve? He says, well, I just got back from a deployment. And I was like, wow, thanks for serving. He goes, yeah, it was supposed to be eight months, went to 12, then COVID hit, and it went another eight months, and we just got back. I'm like, wow, where do you serve? What is your job in the Navy? And he says, well, I'm the, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm the technical specialist for, and he had this long name. And he says, you, you would know it as SEAL Team Six. And I just, (laughs) I just got a whole new respect for this gentleman standing there. One of the other guys is stirring coffee and he just stopped and he was like, so you could like kill everybody here with this spoon. And he says, he just laughed. He said, oh no, I, I wouldn't need a spoon. And (laughs) I'm like, He says, I got a thumb, and if that breaks, I got another one. And I I was just like, total awe. But I'm telling you, in a world that is out to destroy us, I love this truth, and I love where it points, but I need more. I need the second question, who is going to be my guide? Who am I going to choose? And I'm going to tell you, the God of this word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's a couple incredible verses where God literally in the midst of our world, he says this in Jeremiah, he says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great things you do not know. It says in verse 22 of 2 Timothy call on the Lord from a pure heart. That doesn't mean we have a perfect heart, it means just genuinely from the core of our being saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And he became a man so that as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He said, I want to be there with you. And he gives us a choice. Just like the choice I mentioned, do you want the manual or do you want the Navy SEAL? God has said, I'm going to come and live as a man, and I'm going to go through everything you go through. And I'm willing to do it with you. To show you the pitfalls. To, to show you how the enemy's trying to destroy you. And I'm going to show you how to live life and life to the full. I had such a great time. A few weeks ago, I did a show called uh, Mike Huckabee's Show. I don't know if you've ever seen that one or not. It's a, it's a talk show, and he says, you come do some comedy, and, and I had a blast there. But two things really stuck out in my mind from that visit. Some, one of them, well, three. One of them was a gentleman by the name of Bo uh, Wise, a Marine, whose brother was a Special Forces, and other brother was a Navy SEAL. And within a very short time, both of his brothers were killed in Afghanistan and he was called home. And he didn't wanna leave his brothers in arms. And he wrote a book called The Three Wise Men in honor to his brothers. And I was just, I got to talk to him for about 30 minutes backstage and I was blown away at the devotion of his heart and the healing that he experienced about writing that out. The other part was another relationship. I did my set and Governor Huckabee came over and he said, man, that was great. And, and I said, I got to tell you this, before you do the interview, I said, "I was your, your folks called and they said, do you want to come do a comedy set on the show? And I'm like, absolutely. And I said, I went to lunch with my second son, who's a pilot, and he's like, dad, what's up? And I said, well, the Mike Huckabee show just called and, and they want me to do a set. And he's like, oh, that is Huckabee. That name sounds familiar. And I said, well, yeah, I said he was the governor of Arkansas, he ran for president, he said, no, no, ah, that's Sarah Sanders' dad, isn't it? Now, if you don't know Sarah, she was, a, a, uh, she was the staff spokesperson for the White House for a while, and, uh, <laughs> and I told that to Mike, how come he laughed, I'm like, so you're, you're Sarah Sanders' dad, and he said, uh, my son said, yeah, can you, uh, is she going to be there? Are you going to get a selfie with her? Because that would be awesome. And I'm like, you know, Mike's going to be there too. He's like there. And, and, and he was so cool. He's like, you know what? I get that more and more. He says, I even have, somebody sent me a T-shirt that just says Sarah's dad on it. And he's like, when am I going to wear that? I'm like, dude, isn't she running for governor? He goes, yeah. And I said, wear it on the campaign trail. Oh, dude, you are it. That would be it. Because you're her dad. You've been there. You've been through everything. And he was like, wow. I didn't think about it like that. See, and that's what God is saying to you and I. I know what you're going through. I want you to experience this fullness of life. And I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll walk with you through this, if you'll let me. There's a band called Mercy Me on that show as well, and they did a song, and it's, it's a number one song right now. But I, I love one of the lyrics. It says, I want to live not just be alive. And and when we choose to focus in righteousness in the right direction, and we choose God as our leader, we choose him to personally be our our God and our our guide, that's when we find the winning ticket. And if you've never heard this before, I wanna read to you just one simple passage in closing out of 1 John chapter 5. Because can we really know that God's in our heart? It says in Romans that if we if we, believe in our, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be saved to win. But he says this in 1 John, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I write to you who choose to believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you don't know God personally, maybe you know about him. Maybe you've heard the book, read the book, heard sermons on the book. Get to know the God of the book. Know him personally. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I prayed when I was 13, God, I know you're real. Please come into my life. Be my guide. And with a pure heart, that's all it takes. Let me pray for us. And we have an incredible song to rap with. Lord, thank you so much for your truth that points directly to you and that you speak to us through it. And Lord, at the same time, I thank you most of all for Christ, who when he rose from the dead, told his disciples, hey, I'm going to prepare a place, but I'm sending my spirit to live in you, to guide you, to counsel you. And I pray that we who know you would lean on that completely, and anybody who doesn't would say, Lord, please come in. Thank you that you will, and we can know we know you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for letting me share.